Amen. Welcome to Pole Creek this morning. I hope you all are glad to be here. Wasn't it good to worship God this morning? Amen. As a church family. God has been so good to our church family. And I keep hearing stories from all of you how God's working your lives, how he's healing sicknesses, how you guys are getting good reports from the doctors, how he's saving souls and moving in people's lives. So I know God is actively working at Pole Creek. And we are a blessed church for that. You know, there are churches all over this country that are shutting their doors down. Uh, through COVID, a lot of uh, churches dried up and they never got started back. But, you know, one thing that's been beautiful about Pole Creek is our people have been faithful. We continue to reach people through the COVID pandemic, and now we're reaching people even now. And I believe we are stronger now because we remain true to that calling not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And I'm thankful for you as a church uh, supporting me in making those tough decisions through that time. And I believe now we're reaping the rewards for remaining faithful, even in the most difficult of times. So as we just finished up our series through Jude, Heed the Warning, I felt that it was important that we start uh, a study in the book of Galatians. Uh, so if you will, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. And we're just going to go verse by verse through this whole book, not the whole book today, um, just a few verses today. So I know you guys get hungry, and, and some of y'all get hangry. So I like to, like to try to help you out with that, okay? Maybe we can beat the Methodists to the steakhouse today. What do y'all think? That's hard to do, by the way. <laughs> Man, y'all thought that was funny, didn't you? I don't think myself is funny, but Hannah says I'm funny looking, so I guess that makes up for it. Oh, man, I tell you what. You know, there's something called church discipline, Daniel. And, uh, <laughs> elders, we're going to have a meeting, aren't we? All right, no, I'm just kidding. So anyways, Galatians chapter 1, now that I've completely lost my train of thought, if y'all will stand and we'll read God's precious word, okay? Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the Apostle Paul, who is obedient in writing this letter to the churches in Galatia. And Lord, today we know that you have this letter preserved for us in this canon of Scripture, Lord, as one of the books of the Bible. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to my heart, that you would speak to the hearts of those who are here. And Lord, as we hear this sermon, as we prepare our hearts to observe the Lord's Supper at the end of the sermon, I pray, God, that you would move mightily in our church. We pray, Jesus, that you would continue to call Pole Creekers to do great ministry works for you. Lord, we pray that you would give us great favor in our community as we continue to seek more and more ways to reach more and more people. And Lord, as we know, our community is growing day by day, uh, month by month, year by year. As many of us, Lord, passed new homes being built, even in the few miles that we drove to church this morning, we know that you are sending people to Candler, and you've put Pole Creek here to reach those people. So Lord, as we live in a growing community, we pray that you would continue to grow our church for your glory, that many souls would be saved, and Lord, today that we would receive truth from your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So today, here in the book of Galatians, I've titled this series, Liberty in Jesus. Liberty in Jesus. 
And the title of my sermon today is Before We Begin. Now, the interesting thing about many of the books of the Bible is there are formal introductions to these books. A lot of times the introductions will identify who the writer is. It'll identify who they're writing to. It may identify even a reason for writing the particular letter. So don't be mistaken. The book of Galatians is a letter. It was a handwritten letter that would have been sent to what we know as the churches of Galatia there in verse 2. You know, everyone really identifies themselves in a certain way. And I think in this day and age, we hear of all these different ways that people are trying to identify themselves, whether it be um, their race, whether it be their gender, whether it be their cultural uh, ideas. People want to identify themselves in certain ways. Well, if you think about police officers, in a more formal way of identifying yourself, a police officer always identifies himself or herself with a badge. Uh, the badge carries a weight of authority. Um, if someone comes up to you and they try to enforce the law and they don't have a badge, then you're probably not going to take them very seriously. Uh, I remember going to an Atlanta Braves game, and this was probably uh, eight, nine years ago. And if you've ever been to a Braves game, you know that the, at least the old stadium, it was very difficult to get into. The parking was an absolute nightmare. And there were a lot of issues that you had to encounter getting into the city of Atlanta. And I don't think anyone enjoys driving through Atlanta. I've yet to meet someone who does. But anyways, there in Atlanta, we were looking for a place to park. And when you go to a game, you know, there's several different lots that you can park in. Some of them are private. Some of them are public. Some of them are businesses that are trying to make some money during the games or whatever it may be. So as we're about to pull into this lot, it said parking $10 a car. So we pull into this lot, and this gentleman came up to my window. And he said, hey, sir, it'll be $10. So I gave him the $10 bill, and I went over there and parked. Well, then a few minutes later, I talked to the family that I went with, and they said, oh, by the way, we paid, we paid for your uh, parking. And I said, really? I said, well, I paid for my parking too. I said, something's not right here. So come to find out, there was a gentleman roaming through the parking lot who was taking money from people, <laughs> saying that he was the parking attendant. In reality, he was just somebody make, getting some extra money, I guess, stealing money from people. Well, anyways, it was really my fault because I didn't properly identify this guy. I didn't make sure that he was working there in an official capacity. I didn't ask him to show me any identification or something like that. So that's why it's important to identify things, to identify people, and it's important to identify according to the truth. You know, just like employees of companies, many of you who work for certain companies, uh, the company you work for, they may make you wear a certain uniform or they may what make you wear a name badge, or they may um, make you have certain things that will identify you as you go about your business in work and each and every day. So this is really makes sense that Paul would begin the letter to the Galatians by identifying himself and by identifying the God he serves and the God who has called him because there is great weight and authority that comes with being identified with the creator of the universe. So there's a couple of things that I just want us to look at here in this introduction before we begin this great book. The first thing, if you're taking notes, write this down, the God of the resurrection. The God of the resurrection. And we're going to find that in verses 1 and 2, and I'll read those again. Paul, an apostle, not for men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. So as Paul begins to identify himself to the Galatians, I want to give you a little bit of a backstory about this. Paul is actually the one who planted the churches in Galatia. 
Um, we believe, uh, according to the book of Acts, that that was four different churches that was planted. And if you want to go back later and read more about uh, Paul's um, uh, experience in planting those churches, churches, you can look at Acts chapter uh, 13 and 14. And that'll kind of give you that uh, narrative of when he planted those churches. They already knew Paul. Paul would have been their founder. He would have been the man who made the difficult journey on his first missionary journey to plant these four churches. The four churches would have been in the cities of uh, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. So as he's writing this letter, he's writing it to be circulated to these four churches. And probably what they would have done is, is upon receiving the letter, they would have read it and they would have incorporated it into their worship. They would have then sent it to the other church. They would have done the same. They probably would have also made copies of it so they could continue to study it and continue to grow their church by that word. Again, they didn't have a Bible like we would have had back then. They probably had the entire Old Testament, and then along with that, they would have had various letters written by the apostles, not all of them. They may not have even had the Gospels, um, the ability to obtain the Gospels in the full form that we have them today. So the canon of the Bible was still coming together there in the first century. So this would have been Scripture for them. So you can imagine not having the Scripture and then you getting the Scripture in the mail. I mean, freshly written Bible in the mail to you. And really, you are the first group of people that that particular part of God's Word was applied to. And that would have been a very, uh, I think, honorable and, and interesting uh, experience there. But as Paul identifies himself, he says this. He says, I'm an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm not a self-proclaimed apostle, but I come with the authority and with the um, calling of Jesus Christ. And see, the name Jesus Christ means something. If you've ever had a conversation with someone, you know, you can even go sit at a bar and you can talk to the biggest drunk you can find about God. Oh, yeah, I support God bless America, God bless you. You know, they'll, they'll agree with you. But then you start talking about Jesus, and if you've ever noticed, things begin to change. People begin to act differently. People begin to get a little nervous. People begin to react in certain ways to the name of Jesus. And it's because the name of Jesus has power. The name of Jesus has authority. Because when you say the name of Jesus, you're not just talking about a God, but you're talking about a particular God. You're talking about the God of the Hebrews. You're talking about the God who created the heavens and the earth. You're talking about the true God. And the true God's name has power. Now, we can talk about Buddha all day long. We can talk about Muhammad all day long. And listen, there ain't a person in the world that's heart's going to be changed because you're mentioning the name of Buddha. But I promise you, you start to mention the name of Jesus, and things will change. Well, here's what was going on here. He's putting the name of Jesus along with his calling. And he said, I was not called by myself or by man, but by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he begins to go a little bit further about who this Jesus is. He doesn't just stop there and say, I was called by Jesus. But he goes on and he says, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Now, why would he have put so much description into who Jesus is? This Jesus and this God the Father, and God the Father who raised this Jesus from the dead. Well, there in those four churches in Galatia, which would have been modern-day Turkey, near the Mediterranean Ocean, there was a lot of idol worship that took place in that area of Galatia. And what would have happened was, is there would have been so many numerous gods in that culture 
that if you just went up to someone and you just started throwing out a name or you just said God, that could have meant thousands of different things. It could have meant numerous different gods, numerous different goddesses. It could have meant all these different uh, things that would have had to have been specified. You know, today in our culture, we talk about God, and nine times out of ten, most people are going to assume that you're talking about the God of the Bible, who is Jesus Christ. But here, you could not have assumed that. They didn't have that same kind of culture of monotheism, believing in one God, and it was nothing for them to add several new gods to kind of their portfolio of things to worship. That was just who these folks were in the first century, and that's how they believed. On Acts chapter 14, in verses 8 through 15, we're going to have an account, really, of what that culture looked like in terms of their religion and their spiritual mentality. So this is an example from Lystra, which is where one of those four churches that Paul planted was located. In Acts 14, verse 8, the Bible says this, In Lystra, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet, had never walked, and had been lame from birth. He listened as Paul spoke. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. And he jumped up and he began to walk around. When the crowd saw that Paul had done what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lysonian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus. Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates because he intended with the crowds to offer a sacrifice. The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, People, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you. And we are proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You see how quickly the people of this Galatian church, town where this church was planted so quickly jumped to the fact of multiple gods. Oh, something new that we can worship. Wait a minute. The gods have now possessed humanity, and they were about to worship Paul and Barnabas. They were about to fall down on their faces and begin to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas because of the healing that took place by God the Father. It was important that Paul in his letter here properly identify which God he was talking about. And I think today in our culture, we are needing to more and more also identify the God that we believe in. Today, we can't really take for granted like we used to, that everyone assumes that God is the God of the Bible. We have so many people, and I've said this before, moving into our area, moving into the mountains of western North Carolina. I've spoken with real estate agents before who say that people come here because they feel safe in the mountains. And it's bringing them from all over the country, from all different walks of life, um, all over the world, as a matter of fact. People who speak languages um, that aren't, aren't even addressed in our local schools because there's just so many different languages spoken among the people who live here. And if you encounter someone who's of a Hindu background or someone who's a Buddhist background or someone with a Muslim background or perhaps an atheist, which is becoming more and more prevalent, the secular religious um, ideas are becoming more and more prevalent. Actually, this latest generation of adults that we have now 
are uh, exponentially more atheists than any other generation before them. So when you go, you can't take for granted that people understand the God you're speaking about. That's why here at Pole Creek, we are very specific in the God we worship. We worship the God who became flesh, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is one God, but he exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These are essential doctrines that we need to be teaching our children from even before they can talk. Our children need to know who the God of the Bible is. Our children need to understand that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Our children need to understand that our God is one God who exists in three persons, and they should be able to name each person of the Trinity. It's that important. It's teaching our children the Bible. And here Paul knew above anyone else how important this was. As he was a man who was introduced to Greek culture, he was a man who knew Roman culture because he was actually a Roman citizen. He was a man who knew Hebrew culture. He was a man who spoke many different languages. And Paul, of all people, should be our model when we're trying to reach people who don't know our Lord and our Savior. Let's look again there. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. You know, it's important that we communicate to people that we worship the God of the resurrection, that we not only worship the God who became flesh, but we also worship the God who died in the flesh and raised himself back to life. As the Bible says, Jesus Christ, the one God the Father, raised from the dead. We worship a God who defeated death. We worship a God who exercises authority over death. You know, you think about the Greek gods, if many of you have, you know, remember those, uh, the classes that you took in high school about mythology, which was very interesting and it's, very, it's fun stuff to learn and to, to think about and to watch and to listen to. But those gods were just basically uh, glorified men. You know, they, they had temptations and they even would uh, go and get uh, humans pregnant and they would go and do all this crazy stuff. And it's almost like, well, they're really no better than we are. I mean, they're just, they're, they're dealing with the same stuff we're dealing with, just they've got some superpowers, right? So it's important that people understand that our God is not like that. Our God is transcendent. And what transcendent means is that he self-exists outside of the created order. God does not need the earth. God does not need the sky. God does not need stars. God does not need planets. God does not need water. He doesn't need any of that stuff to sustain himself. As a matter of fact, he is eternally pre-existent before any of the created order was ever created. And if the earth and the universe cease to exist, God is still God. And God is still perfectly self-sustained. You can't add to God. You can't take away from God. He is transcendent and exists outside of the created order. Really, every other religion views God as something different. They view God as more of a humanized understanding of what being a superhero or a God may look like. But we believe in the true God. And if you look there, Paul also mentioned there in Acts, he ended up there in that passage in verse 15. He said, why are you turning to these worthless things? Turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. There is a specificity about that God. He is a particular God. He is being identified here by Paul in a way that is unmistakable. 
And it is important that we as believers, we not only understand who our God is and who the Bible teaches him to be, but that we can also explain to other people who he is and who he claims to be. So number one, he's the God of the resurrection. But number two, the God of the crucifixion. And here as Paul is writing this letter, he begins by saying, listen, I'm, I'm Paul, an apostle called by Jesus. I'm writing the letter. This is who this letter is from. But then at the end of verse 2, he says, and I'm writing this to the churches of Galatia. And then he enters into a time of greeting. So that the introduction is there. Who am I? Who am I writing to? And now this is how I'm going to begin my letter. It's basically like the small talk at the beginning of a conversation. You know, how are you doing? How's your week been? What do you think about the weather, right? And you kind of get through some of that stuff before you get into the deep parts of the conversation. But what's so cool about Paul here in beginning in verse 3 is his greeting is not just one of those surface-type, uh, cultural-type conversation starters. But he immediately gets, again, deep into doctrine, deep into truth, deep into the identity of the God that he is proclaiming here to these churches in Galatia. So beginning in verse 3, we're going to see the God of the crucifixion. Galatians 1, beginning in verse 3, the Bible says this, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, in our culture, it's not very... Um, it's very common, I should say, for us to just throw around words to kind of fill the silence. You know, if there's a silent situation, then we feel like we have to fill it with some words. And usually those words don't mean a whole lot. It's really just to save face and to keep the awkwardness from arising. Uh, a lot of your Middle Eastern cultures, though, they don't feel the need to, to, to always fill the silence uh, with noise. They don't feel, they're okay with just sitting back and being quiet. They're okay with allowing the silence to play out. And, you know, even in a Bible study group, when I've been taught Bible study before, and you ask a question to your Bible study group, well, sometimes it takes a, a while for the group to, to answer or to want to speak. But that silence from the time you ask the question till the time they speak is some of the most awkward silence in the world. And you can say, man, there are a lot of times people are like, well, should I just help the teacher out and just say something? Or, you know, this is getting really awkward. But if you do it right, you're taught to be quiet as long as it takes. Because eventually someone is going to speak, and it's okay to allow the silence to play out. It's okay to not feel the need just to interject empty words just to fill the, fill the noise, right? It's okay to let that silence play out. Well, I can assure you, though, here in Paul's letter, his greeting to the people in Galatia was very, very meaningful. Now, that first part there in verse 3, grace to you and peace. From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. That is something very similar that you're going to see in many of Paul's letters. And it might get to the point where you say, oh, there it is again. That's just something that he's filling the silence with. But he goes on to reiterate why he says grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 3, he talks about the grace. Now, when we talk about grace and we think about grace, grace is essential in the Christian faith. Not only is it essential in the Christian faith, but it is essential in the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, if you re research Martin Luther at all, he was the one who led the Great Reformation back in the 1500s. And what he had done was, he was a Catholic monk. 
and he had devoted his life to serving the Catholic Church. But there were all these things that were going on in the Catholic Church that really just made him feel hopeless and depressed. He would even take uh, leather straps, and he would beat himself on the back many times until he would bleed because they believed that they needed to punish themselves or suffer because of the sins that they had committed. The Catholic Church also believes in things like penance, where you would actually pay money to have your sins forgiven, where you had to go to a priest and you had to confess your sins. And there were all these works-related things that the Catholic Church was attaching to Christianity. And Martin Luther had come to a place, and actually there was a verse in Romans, but also the book of Galatians, that changed Martin Luther's life. And it was the fact that it's by grace that you're saved. It's not of works. It's not of something that you can do. It's not of anything that you can muster up within your own self, but salvation is by grace. The book of Galatians' foundation is about freedom and liberty in Jesus Christ, about grace. In other words, I'm saved not because I'm good enough and not because I can keep being good enough, but I'm saved because Jesus is good enough. And I'm saved because Jesus, the only holy and spotless lamb without blemish, gave his life for me so that I can be saved. This grace and this peace that he's talking about as he's introducing this letter to the Galatians, he's setting the foundation for what he is going to speak to them about. See, the church in Galatia, and we're going to see this a lot, the churches in Galatia over the next several weeks were churches who were very legalistic. And there was a lot of false teachers that had incorporated themselves in these churches that was teaching people that you can go to heaven, that you can be a Christian if you get saved and X, Y, Z. If you come to Christ and trust Jesus and him and his uh, resurrection and his death on the cross, you can go to heaven, but you also got to do this, this, and this. And here Paul is setting the stage to say that, listen, a relationship with Jesus is not about how good you are. Hey, listen, if it was about how good we are, none of us would get in. None of us would ever be saved because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Paul is setting the stage here and he's saying grace. Now what grace is, it's when you receive something by no merit of your own. It's almost foreign to us as human beings because we always attach a, a value to everything that is given. So if something is given, we always feel like we need to... Uh, you know, reciprocate that back to the person and say, well, here, that was so valuable. Let me, let me pay you something for that or let me do something in return to make up for it. But that's not grace. Grace is receiving something totally, 100%, definitively, without you doing anything to get it. In other words, nothing that we have done to earn or deserve the good things that we are given. One day when I stand before Jesus and he says, come on in, to the joys of the Lord. He'll say that not because Ben was good, not because Ben went to church every Sunday, not because Ben um, read his Bible, not because Ben um, did uh, all the right little things that a good Christian should do. He's going to let me into heaven because his son, the Lord Jesus, gave his life for me on the cross. And that's it. There is no and. There is no plus. That is it. And here is what this, the foundation of the book of Galatians is going to be about. But then he says peace. Well, he says grace and peace. Grace and peace. Here, peace is the result of grace. You can't have peace unless you've experienced God's grace. 
Now, there's really two different kinds of peace that the Christian experiences. Number one, we receive peace with God. Now, the reason that I need peace with God is because before I was saved, I was his enemy. Did you know that if you don't know Jesus today, that you are an enemy of God? You may say, well, does that mean God is going to destroy me? I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is if you are living in your sin, that you are an offense to a holy God. A God who must judge sin. In other words, you're at odds with God if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you accept Jesus, you also accept the wrath that God poured out on his only son. And when God poured out his wrath on his son as Jesus died and hung on the cross, God was pouring his wrath out on his son instead of you. So that when you accept Jesus, you also accept the fact that God's wrath was quenched by the death of his son. The wrath that God had toward you was quenched by what he poured out on his son. That's how we can have peace with God. Because now that I know Jesus, I'm no longer an enemy with, of God, but I have peace with God. We're on the same team. I'm his child, and now my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But we also have peace, the peace of God. And what that is, is the peace of God is that joy that's deep down in your soul. That peace that says no matter what happens in this life, no matter how out of control I am of my circumstances, the peace of God dwells within me because I know that he's going to take care of it. And as he begins this letter here to the Galatians, he's saying, number one, God's grace is great and sufficient. And because of God's grace, you can have the peace of God and you can have peace with God. We understand that. To be true. We also understand that the reason that the world is crazy, the reason that people who don't know Christ are always searching for that next big thing, they're always grasping for something that is going to fulfill the emptiness in their heart, is because they've never experienced God's grace. They've never had the peace of God. They've never experienced peace with God. And listen, we can make it simple today. You say, what's going to make a person happy? How can a person have peace? How can a person be okay in life? They simply need the peace of God. But they can't have that until they trust Jesus. So as Paul goes on to explain this, he's not just saying this, this little uh, fluffy uh, introduction and just filling the silence. But he says, grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, who gave himself... For our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. See, Paul knew that the grace of God was possible, that then the peace of God that follows is possible because Jesus gave himself for our sins. That's the only way that any of us can ever receive peace and grace is because of the crucifixion, because we worship the God of the crucifixion. Well, when you see here, it talks about that the reason he gave himself for our sins was to rescue us, rescue us from this present evil age. Now, that Greek word used there, when it's translated, many times it's translated delivered or rescued there in verse 4. But it goes with the understanding that the person being rescued or the person being delivered is in great trouble. That the person is in need of a Savior, someone to come and save them from peril, to save them from imminent danger. And here we see that because Jesus gave himself for our sins, 
He not only did it for our sins, but he did it to rescue us presently from this evil age. You know, you don't have to wait until you get to heaven, by the way, to experience the grace of God. You don't have to wait until you get to heaven one day to experience the joy of salvation. The Bible here is teaching us that, listen, the only reason that God saved, it wasn't just to keep you out of hell, but it was to save you now from this present evil age because God knows that the more we succumb to sin, the longer we live in a sinful lifestyle, the more destruction that we're going to face, the more hardship and the more pain that we're going to face, the more uh, just the terrible experiences that we're going to experience. And when you think about that, you understand that God really is a God of love because he's not saying, you know what, keep suffering in your sin. I'll make sure to save you in the end, but you're kind of on your own now. No, that's not the God we serve. He's saying, listen, I'm not only going to save you from an eternity in hell, but I'm going to save you right now from this evil age that you're living in. Because guess what? When you're free in Christ, you're no longer a slave to sin. The Bible says those who don't know Jesus are in bonds and they're slaves to their evil desires. In other words, you have to do what sin asks you to do without Jesus. But when you have Jesus, guess what? You're free from the bonds of sin and you get to say no to sin. The indwelling Holy Spirit gives you the power to say no. The indwelling Holy Spirit gives you the power to grow in Christ, to be more like Jesus, and to become sanctified. And that's the beautiful thing about what Paul is talking about here. When we think about that, in verse 5, he really sums up this introduction well. So let's look at verse 5 there, Galatians chapter 1. It says, To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So as Paul finishes his introduction in the letter to the Galatians, he's actually mentioning the purpose of life, the purpose of existence, and the purpose of creation. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've had people come and ask me, you know, wh why, why are we here? What is the purpose of life? Why do I even exist? And we know that suicide is, is just a horrible thing that happens in our culture and really in cultures across the world. And we know that even in China, as they locked it back down because of COVID, there were even people jumping out of high-rise buildings because of their hopelessness, because of their depression, because of their isolation. You know, suicide runs rampant. And suicide is a product of someone not understanding their purpose. Because what happens with suicide is people begin to view themselves as worthless. They begin to view themselves as not loved or not wanted. They begin to see their life unraveling before them, and they really begin to view themselves as just bacteria, something that has no value, something that is here, lives, and then goes away. And really, in an atheistic worldview, that's really all humanity is. Really, in an atheistic worldview, an atheist has to admit that a human being is just a bag of biological stuff that has no value and doesn't matter if you live or die. And with that mindset, human value doesn't exist. But in the world of Christianity, in the Christian worldview, we can explain why a life is eternally valuable. We can explain why life is important. And, you know, so many times people say, well, you Christians only care about the unborn. You don't care about children in, in school. You don't care about how children are fed. You don't care about education. You don't care about... That's the biggest load of bull 
that you're ever going to hear, by the way. Because most great private schools are Christian. Most great orphanages are Christian. Most great charitable organizations are Christian. If it weren't for the Christians, nobody would be taken care of. Because I can tell you right now, the government sure ain't doing a good job. But we as Christians, not the atheists, not the secular world, not other religious ideologies like Hinduism that says but a child is starving to death because they messed up in a previous life, all right? And that's why they don't help children in the gutters over in India because they don't want to get involved with the karma. Only Christianity can tell you why you should love every life. From the moment of conception until the day of death, only Christianity speaks to the internally intrinsic value of every human being, both unborn and born, both sick and healthy, both young and old, only Christianity. And here we have our great purpose. Our great purpose, we exist. We are here in order to give God glory forever. The Bible says that humanity is so special. You are so special that you are the only creation that God made in his own image. You're the only one that was created to distinctly and uniquely reflect God's glory to the world. Now, you have value. But you know, only Christianity can explain why you have value. Here, Paul is saying, listen, the, the conclusion that I want you to get as I am about to speak to you from my heart here, churches of Galatia, is that you would ultimately glorify God the Father forever and ever. You know what heaven is going to be about? Basking in the glory of God, glorifying his precious name, just honoring him for who he is. And you know what? Each and every one of us today are benefiting from the glory of God. Ultimately, you know what's going to bring you satisfaction? God's glory. When God is glorified, his creation prospers. When God is glorified, his creation is satisfied. Because that's why you were created, was to glorify him. Let's pray.